I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Theology. Theology. Unplugged. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton, and this is Late Night Theology Unplugged, and we are live at all of our normal places. So if you're listening to this right now, you are listening to a live version. Well, I don't know if you are, because maybe you came and listened to it afterwards. But right now, late at night, uh, on a, what is it, a Monday, we are doing a Theology Unplugged. So we got a little special one that we pulled together at the last minute. Literally, just before some of my uh, guys are going to bed, we were able to pull this together. But it's based upon a blog I just wrote that uh, I, I just thought would be good to talk about, especially with these two guys. You'll be familiar with these two guys because they've been with us before. It's both Tad and Ed. They were literally my last guests that I had on. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this blog and um uh then we're, they're just going to come in and discuss it and talk about it so this blog here is based upon my six-year anniversary of my recovery from opioid addiction uh, probably if you've been around any time you've known that i was addicted to opioids for i mean seriously addicted for a long time for for uh, five, six years, uh, on and off, you know, probably for seven years, but really, really hardcore for, for four years. I mean, just bad. Lucky to, I'm so lucky to be alive. But here's my reflection on my six-year uh, anniversary. And just forgive me as I read this. Uh, when my sister killed herself, my mom had her aneurysm, and my dad, and my dad died within a few short years. I thought I was fine. More than that, I thought I was handling everything as a, in a heroic way. In fact, considering all this, I was kind of proud of myself. However, I did not know how vulnerable I was. My mind set up a wall of protection so that I could stay strong for my family and help take the place of all that they had lost. This wall was hard to keep constructed, but I had to power through it for the sake of everybody. It was a perfect storm waiting for a major fall. So I took pain pills for my back while I was taking care of my mother. I did not know that they would replace the wall that I didn't even know I had constructed. When I would stop taking them, I didn't like the new world around me that didn't have this wall. I didn't know how, how to exist in this world and keep my head up. And if I was to keep my head, if I did not keep my head up, who would keep the head up of my family. So my from my perspective, for the health and well-being of everyone, I needed to take the pain pills. And of course, I was still in pain, having my back pain. So that gave me a perfect excuse. And there's not much to this post. I mean, we're almost done with it here. It's just kind of, here are my thoughts tonight as I thought, I'll post something real quick on Facebook. And I do this every year at the recovery. I reflect on what I have. I, I, really, I, I reflect trying to figure out what happened in all of those years. I thank you all 
and I mean this from the depths of my heart to everybody who is listening, I still can't believe how gracious you guys have been to with me throughout all of this. People who say that the church is rejecting of people, that they cut you loose, that they are intolerant. I'm telling you, I didn't see that. I've seen it, and I may have even done it in other circumstances, but not with this and not with you guys. So I thank you for sticking with me. Even when I let you know, some of you don't flinch. I heard a lot of people, a whole lot of people, and I'm sorry. Um, and I can't get that back. I am not an abuse counselor, and I'm not too good at helping people through addictions. But I can put these little messages together and hope they mean something to someone. I guess my message is, no matter how strong you think you are, pain has its way of taking its toll one way or another. No matter how strong you think you are, we are all exceedingly weak. There are no superheroes under the sun. We all need to be lifted up together. And under the sun, many of you guys would recognize that's from the book of Ecclesiastes, basically saying on this earth. So what we're going to do is I'm going to bring in both Tad, who is uh, in conversations with Tad that I've been doing. We've done nine of them so far. You can find them on our channel. And Ed, who you may be familiar with, uh, has he's been with our ministry forever, but he's also done a few podcasts with us recently about UFOs. So guys, I'm bringing you in and I'm just going to, that's his spray tan though. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, see if hey, I can I'm there we go. It's 95 degrees every day. And it's and what? It's 95 degrees every day. And last week was vacation. So we took the kids to the amusement park. I got fried my whole head. I got... Ed, tell him where you're at. He doesn't even know where you're at. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in uh, El Salvador. Um, Central Air America. Central El America. Salvador. El Salvador. El Salvador. So that's why I'm tanned. I tend to be permanently tanned or sunburned or whatever it is. Um, it's the way it is, man. But last week I was in the sun for like 12 hours a day for two days and I uh, got burned up pretty good. All right. Well, Ed, let's start with you. And you might you might tell a little bit of your story just so people know why it is that I have you on responding to this as okay. well. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there's two stories here. There's one pre-Michael and one post-Michael, uh, post current Michael, whatever. But my, I mean, I was raised in a family that that just, like, we were the hosts of the parties, right? We had every, every, every party. I was drinking when I was, I had a six-pack of, well, me and my twin brother, I have a twin brother, and uh, we split a six-pack of Colt 45 on our 10th birthday. So I wasn't really raised, people say we were raised by wolves because we were kind of on our own. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was working two jobs her whole life. So she was never home. So I was raised by my teenage brother who was seven years older than me and my sister who was 10, 10 years older than me. So, um, so I grew up with booze, with pot, partying. I wrestled. You know, when I was uh, junior in high school, senior in high school, we had a wrestling match on Wednesday night, and there was beat the clock night at the bar 
my brother would come to the wrestling match and take me to take me to beat the clock man after the wrestling match. I missed every Thursday probably during this season. So um, so I, that's how I grew up. And then uh, as I got older, I was a chef in restaurants from the time I started working in restaurants when I was 10. Always grew up around older kids, college kids. I was the boss when I was 14, ran the kitchen. And, uh, it, you know, just grew up in a party lifestyle. You work hard, you play hard. My, my uncle used to always tell us, my, my uncle who I looked up to, I had two uncles I looked up to more than my dad because my dad was never there. But uh, my uncle would say, if you want to play with the big boys, you got to pay with the big boys, right? So, so I'd be out all night, drinking all night with the college kids, back in work, 6 o'clock in the morning, work till 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And that's, that's how I grew up. That was my high school years. That was my, my, my junior high school, high school years. And then, uh, yeah, I moved to Florida. I was never, I was never really a pot smoker or anything. I was more like a. I used to sell these things that were called RJ8s, Yellow Jackets, when I was a kid. It was it was cheap speed. You sold them for, and I would buy them. And my brother would always bum them for me, so they never paid me back. But then he'd take me to boardwalks and so on. So it kind of just progressed from there, and I moved to Florida eventually um, when I was like twenty three. Cocaine was big, it was the early 80s, Miami Vice, all that crap, you know, and, uh, and then crack cocaine got popular. I tried that one time, got hooked, and uh, went downhill. I was working 16, 17 hours a day, and I was homeless, sleeping in the back of a car, like literally in the back of a station wagon. Just the hatchback was up, and I was sleeping in the back of that, even though I was working 80 hours a week because I spent all my money on drugs. But the thing is, I got saved when I was 18 years old. And, and which sounds weird, because I was doing all this after I was already saved. And this is, I think this is important. I'm sure there's gonna be lots of people are gonna be like, no, you can't be saved in doing that stuff. But God never gave up on me. I gave up on him because I just felt like, what difference does it make, man? What, like, I'm doing this. And I remember laying for a couple of days, I, for like four or five days, I slept under a bridge. I had been to the, I went to the Marines. I wanted to get disciplined. So I went there, took the ASVAB, had the highest score in the Miami Basin in the Marines. ASVAB is the standardized test for joining the military. I, I, when the guy told me that, I was like, who are these people that are taking this test, right? Because like, I never thought, I never had great grades in school or anything. But anyway, um, so, but then I started hiding from, from the, the recruiter because I knew I couldn't pass the drug test because I was high. But so I'm, I, I'm literally sleeping under the bridge uh, in this town, Port Salerno, Florida. And I'm just praying to God. And I'm like, Lord, I, I don't want to do this, but I, I don't know how to stop doing this. But the point is, even though I was running away from him, it's the prodigal son kind of thing. I was running away from him, but... But he always was there for me. He protected me through that, carried carried me through that until I, you know, until he restored me. And then, as you know, I, I fell again much later when I was older, uh, when I was with you, right? not with you, you were part of it, but uh, during during the ministry time, which was the highlight of my life. I felt so good and so close to God while I was uh, you know, your first TA and then running the other TAs and. That was like the, the high point of my life. But I was married at the time. 
Um, she wasn't into it because a lot of times we stayed up till two, three in the morning, just talking, just talking theology, talking God, talking experiences. Um, and then the pressures of, you know, we tried to start our own company and, and everything for the theology program. And uh, it wasn't good, man. It wasn't good because. How long had you had stopped by the time you, you were starting back up here? Uh, it was nine years. Nine years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So nine years, between those nine years, you're doing the theology program with me. You're my teacher's assistant. And you and I start a business together. Right. And then was it a sudden fall? You know what? Um, and listen, let me say this right up front. What, every single thing I've ever done is my fault. It's not my, it's not my ex-wife's fault. It, it's not certainly not God's fault. It's not your fault. It's not even what I'm going to say now, and this is why I'm leading up to this. We had a backer, right, for that was doing it. And we went from trying to build an application to do online communications and all kinds of cool stuff, right, like, um, you know, for, for the theology program. So that we could run the classes really well and, and put everything on screen. This is way back before Zoom and all that stuff. But then it turned into like profit, profit, profit. And that pressure, I didn't adjust to that well. Yeah. I didn't handle that well. Because now it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't me saying profit, profit, no, no, profit. No, no, no. We had an investor that was doing that to both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right, like so we're, we're like, okay, give us a year right, or eight months or whatever, 10 months to get this thing set. And then four months is like, hey, can we go live? Hey, what about if we did, what if we shared cameras? And did surgeries and, and you know all this, and we can sell this, and so that all happened, and that's all true. But how I handled it, that's still on me. That's still on me, and I failed. I fell apart because I'm dealing with I'm dealing with 14 Indian developers. They're telling me, yeah, tomorrow we're going to release this, and I'm up at three o'clock in the morning having conversations with them. Right? Yeah. So I don't want to belabor this point, but the point is. The kind of what you said, right? You had to hold it together. You can't hold it together because to, because you're a human being. You're fallible, right? You were trying to be strong. I was trying to be strong. And then when, you know, like then I was coming down to Oklahoma every like one week a month, things like that. And so that was that was kind of an escape for me because I, I, I could try and sneak out. and It's just the way it goes, man. It's like we hide from who we actually are. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's why I'm saying everything I ever did in my life is my own personal responsibility. I recognize that. But the cool thing is, man, God pulled me through all of it. God was still there. And, and, and that's, that's the important thing for me personally, is that even though I screwed up, it's kind of like David, the story of David, right? And I'm not, I'm not David. But yeah. David, is a, David is not your moral leader in the Bible. David's an example of somebody who just trusted in God. I felt bad. I, I felt guilty that for a couple of years, I even, I, I even went through a point where I was just mad at God. Well, you made me this way. Like, this is where this, like you're, you're Calvinist. You call me Arminian or, or probably open theist more than Arminian. I, <laughs> I do. But, but anyway, but, but life, and I'm sorry, Tad, I, I, 
throwing out theological crap. Here. <laughs> but, and, but this is what this is what I was always accused of. And, and you guys can talk about. Trust that me, Tad will be looking that up tonight, and we'll be yeah. talking about it tomorrow. So But the point is, the point is, and this is, I believe all three of us can agree with this: that God carries us through. He's not happy with what we're doing. He doesn't approve of what we're doing. But he's there, man. He's there. Like, like you said, you, you're just trying to be strong. I was trying to be strong. Guess what? I'm not strong. So your, yours was crack cocaine too, right? Crack cocaine? Yeah. And how long has it been since you've done that? Uh, 15 years. Okay. All right. And we know, Tad, I know your story. So, I mean, I'm not going to get you to go through. I mean, you can tell what you want, but people have already said your story. You can tell as much as you want, like I said, but your reaction as well to the post that I just posted. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how you can keep coming up with different posts that are so deep and relevant. And every time you do it, it touches me in a different way, you know, and it's, you've got these, it's, it's this sometimes the same story, but the way that you write it in a different way, because it's so passionate to you. It's so personal. I feel like it's a different message that I get every single time. Yeah. And that's just being honest. And I, and I feel like, uh, you know, I went through all of this with, so did Ed, clearly. <laughs> um, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't met Ed before. I mean, that's that's on me. You know, I probably should have just found sought you out and found you. But uh, the ones that <clears throat> every time you write something about, you know, sweet Angie, I learned something else kind of about myself, not kind of absolutely about myself and about what you are going through. And I know um you and I talked a lot during that time and we talked a lot all the time. So that's not fair, but no, but it was, I know it was a, during a pivotal part whenever Angie died and whenever we went through all that, it was a, it was a trans, it was, it was kind of our first transition between me and you. We had talked for a while about God and we had conversations during the funeral that were very significant. And then, Again, you know, we've picked them back up a whole lot more recently, but you, you, it's part of your process. But I remember your process funeral, with Angie. Leading up to the funeral, I know um, all the, and I don't want to get too personal, but all the processes that you went through with her and the appointments you went to with her. And I, uh, that hit me in a lot of different ways that I haven't probably talked to you about. But I'm like, I cannot believe this guy is having to go through this process with his sister. And you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I, uh, man, it's a crazy, it's a crazy little uh, journey that we all go on. And it's um, that's a lot to take in, Ed. Thank you for sharing that with me. And everybody else that was uh it's a great story uh i appreciate it i respect it and um 
Dad, I know I've told this story before about the conversation that we had over right after the funeral over at my mom's house, but I'm just going to say it again because, again, that here here it is setting up all of this stuff, and and you got to understand, people, whenever whenever we're talking about my my addiction that I started with that uh, that uh, I wrote the post about, um, we're talking. I had already been through, you know, my my 20 early 20s i mean my teens high school early 20s all the way until i was 21 to where i i quit everything you know i dropped it all committed uh, committed myself completely over to the lord said i'm not doing this anymore i'm not living this lifestyle anymore and um stop drinking i never thought i'd pick anything like this back up again i mean i thought that i was way behind me it was a testimony that was passed so just tell other people about it for the rest of my life there was no way i would get myself involved in something like this again because the lord is my center he's my focus there's and i'll just tell everybody else how to have this same armor that i have so that they can live the rest of their lives without having any type of problem the way i felt i was going to and so that's the thing that that broke me even more was falling back into it at that point i mean blindsided by right whenever i started taking those pain pills knowing what they were doing to me and then, you know, a year or two later saying it's time to come off and knowing there's no way I can get off these. I am completely addicted. And I thought it was I thought it was bad when I was in my teens and 20s. This was so much worse, so much worse. Not just because not just because it was it was I felt like I was betraying God and betraying people, but it really was actually worse. I, it was harder for me to get away from. Yeah, Pat, go ahead. Uh, and man, you can. It's gonna make you mad at me. No, ask anything. What's the one thing that most people regret that are living through someone they know that's gonna commit suicide? It's that one thing they wish they would have said later. You always think about that one thing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah. God, what if I said this? What if I said that? Is it too personal to ask you in front of everybody? No, no, not what, at all. I mean, your one thing would be to say, <laughs> well, it'd be exactly what we said the other day. It would be not saying something, you know, because I think Angie felt so alone. And that's part, but whenever you're going through something you, that not, Angie, I think that you like, there's something that, cause we've talked about this. So I know where I'm, I'm kind of leading you right now, actually. I think there, there's a, there's a thing that you wished you would have said to her and and uh, your dad said this to me at her funeral, something he wished he would have said to her. And uh, Jason James just said, I wish you would have hit on me, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that was, that sounds exactly like Jason. That was before this happened. But um, I, there's people out there, Michael, that I think really are, are holding on to someone and they don't want to say the wrong thing, but they're scared of saying, they're scared of saying like what's my last thing going to be you know because they know what's going to happen and i just think if you had a last word to say someone you know it's going to happen to you that you've been trying to save what's that one thing you wish you would have said and i'm sorry i'm not trying no to no i mean all i can do tad is I, i'm going to go back to what i was saying just a minute ago and that's that's that 
that I said too much to her. I, I did not let her know. I acted like she, it was completely different. It was completely foreign what she was going through. I cannot believe you're going through this. You know, just like a lot of people, whenever they were, whenever I was on the drugs, they would say, I cannot believe you're on these drugs. I can't, cannot believe this. It's, it's this idea of, you know, acting like I would never do this if I were you. And so um, I'm so much better than you. And if you could just be like me, that's what happens whenever you fill it up with advice and, and judgment. And I, I was doing that out of fear to Angie. That's what I was doing was filling it up with all of this stuff. And that, that was part of the armor I had on that made my own fall. I mean, here's me saying there's no way I could fall like Angie. There's no way that I could break like Angie. Whenever inside, while this is going on with her, it's setting up a foundation for exactly what she ended up going through with the depression. Because whenever I was on these pain pills and everything else, I was so depressed. And I was like, I know exactly what she feels like now. For the first time, I wish I wouldn't have said this and this and this and this. I just wish I would have said, and here, here's, here's what, if you want me something positive, I would have said, you're not alone. I promise you. Okay. All right. But you feel alone. And even whenever people say that, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Would you mind if I ask one more question to add and then I'm done? No, sure. You better be done for the night. Yeah. I, <laughs> Ed, uh, I hope not, actually. Huh? Anyway, Ed, so when you uh, you took that first hit, all right, I mean, we're all friends here. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. This is kind of my new thing, right? The crack? Yeah. Um, this is, okay, I found something here. And at what point, because I've, I've asked this to a lot of people because I've always wondered myself, actually, at what point do we think that we're addicted? Is it the first point, the second hit, the second drink, the third thing? And then you were suicidal, right? I think you said something like that. And I was wondering. Like, I was suicidal when I was desperate. Yeah. But at what point were you like, this is what I'm going to do now, and I don't care about anything else? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I, let me tell you about the, first, the, the very first night. I need about two or three minutes to tell the story. No, dude. All right. You got six or seven. <laughs> so, so I was working for a, a development company, a land development company down in Florida. This is 83, 84, probably 84. And there was this one guy, he was the, con we poured, we did these poured concrete buildings, right? So they set up these forms, they pour the concrete. So the one guy, uh, this guy John, he was a um, he was a black dude. Well, we leave out color and name. <laughs> no, 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 we're not going to leave out color because it's very relevant to the story. So, yeah, I'm not politically correct. So if Michael gets banned, that's his problem. I don't have a you. I don't have a YouTube channel so. <laughs> uh, or I don't post on Facebook hardly ever. So, so anyway. So John is like, him and I become best friends because I'm working, I'm the assistant purchasing agent, but I'm also in charge of the compound. I'm sending everybody where they're going. I'm making sure they have the right equipment, blah, 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 every morning. So John is the foreman of the concrete crew, the finishers. He's a black dude. So every Friday, the crew from the compound, which is our main unit, 
Um, we all go. We all go to this place called Tony Pascas. It's a pool hall, but it's all it's Florida. We're in Stewart, Florida. It's all biker dudes and you know not flannel shorts because it's hot. Flannel shorts with cut off sleeves, whatever. Michael. So so we're playing we're playing pool and he's like, I'm like, how you doing, man? And he's like, I'm okay, but you know what? Um, I'm the only black dude in this whole bar, and a couple of the guys are racist, right? Making comments and stuff and. So he goes, I have my in-laws own a bar. How about you come literally to Blacktown? Because that's what they used to call it. Um, so how about you come to Blacktown? You come to my in-laws bar and you and I can play pool. Cool. So I started hanging out for like six months. I hung out with him there. One night I go there, he's not there. So there's another little bar, a little lounge. It's more of a bottle club type of place. And uh, I go there. And that's how I, that's the first time I ever, I was just looking for John Hewlett. And, and so I go there, guys like, hey, come here, man. We, we go in the bathroom, first hit a crap. That night, I took my brother, my older brother was living with me in Florida. I took, this guy convinced me, grab his VCR, which back then was, they were expensive. Grab that, we'll front that, we'll get, get some drugs, we'll sell them, we'll make more money back. And we smoked it all. So um, that's how it started. Honestly, just being being real, um, but it was just I, I had fun with my my friend John, and then after that though, like when the, the question, when did you realize you're addicted? Um, I don't I, I don't think you really I don't think you admit that for a long long time. No, I, no, it, you don't. It's the bottom. It's just I, like, I know, because I'm good. I still got my house. Like, you know, well, my apartment. I had a condo. I got my condo. I'm working. I'm making money. I'm so like until you lose everything, you kind of don't really say, "Yeah, this is a problem." Yeah, or yeah. until you really try to stop and you can't stop. Yeah, you're like, like I'm like, yeah, I'm spending twenty bucks a night on crack. I'm spending fifty bucks a night. I'm spending a hundred. Like I said, I, I was working, dude. I, I was literally Ted. I was working sixteen to eighteen hours a day, sleeping in the back of a car, and I didn't think I was an addict. I didn't think it was an addict. You know why? Because tomorrow I got up and still went to work. I still made money. Yeah, that's, that's robbing that's anybody. Right. I wasn't stealing from anybody, right? Mm -hmm. I'm working. I'm earning this money, and what I do with my money mm -hmm. is my business, right? So, so it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I never robbed anybody to get high. I was well, Ed. Ed, I was I was writing blogs at the time. Yeah whenever I was doing this. So not only was I thinking the same way as you are, but I'm like, if I've got a problem, then God wouldn't be using me the way he is because I'm still writing blogs. I'm I still teaching at Creo House, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right though. Like I didn't know you had a problem until like three years into your problem that you just blogged about it. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. Like yeah. What the H-E double toothpicks? Well, I think of that that time, that is the first time a lot of people had heard about it. Yeah. But it certainly wasn't the first time a lot of people around me knew about it. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize we were coming into like an NAAA meeting. I was I thought we were going to talk about the blog. That's well, the blog is about my addiction. This is, this is the a blog. I wouldn't about this, though. No but, no, but let's check this out, Ted. And my God, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. Maybe I feel the guilty. Thing, the thing is, Michael said something really important. He had to be strong in his mind for the family when really what he needed to do at that point 
was humble himself before God, recognized this is out of my control. I can't. Hey, we all know the serenity prayer, right? Now, I'm not a 12-step guy, personally. I was. I didn't really get clean until I stopped doing 12-step, but I don't, I don't push that thought on anybody because it works for a lot of people. The 12 steps themselves are good. But when I when I really hit bottom back in New Jersey back in the in the mid-90s, I ended up in NA. And guess what? It was all, you know, like praise be to Allah, Amalaka Lakum or whatever. I like you know, as we sort of have our own sense for that. I won't do that right now. But anyway, uh, salami and bacon, but anyway. Um but you could not say, praise be to Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm clean and sober today. Just for today, through Jesus Christ, I'm clean and sober. But you could say, praise be to Allah, I'm clean and sober for today. And then I met guys who just trained. And then I went, I'm like, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. I switched over to AA. And then in AA, now there's a lot of Catholics, and I'm not going to go into all that. This, you know, from our last podcast that I can talk for a long time, but I'm seeing guys that now they're addicted. I'm in, I'm in Seattle city, New Jersey, half an hour from Atlantic city. These guys that got 15, 20 years of sobriety, they're addicted to gambling. They're addicted to sex. They're addicted to whatever, right? They're cheating on their wives. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not part of what the 12 steps are about. The 12 steps were written by Christians to whatever degree that they believed at the time, like the whole, you know, um, live, you know, one day at a time, is from the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus saying, "Hey, you know, every day has its troubles of its own." It's from can the I, Sermon uh, on the Mount. Can I chime in just for a second? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> I think if you're looking at the twelve steps and addiction and people talking and putting it with religion, um, they, in AA and NA, as you know, it's usually just spiritual. you got to believe in something. It doesn't have to be God. A higher it's power. A higher power. That's what they call it. But that wasn't right. how it started. So that's, that's, on them. that's on them. You had your way, which I respect the hell out of. I mean, I, I do. I respect everybody's way of doing whatever makes them happy and better. But we got to be careful when we talk about. Well, this yeah, is I don't. I, you know what? You do what you say, whatever you want. I'm just telling you my side. Too. No, no, I, and I agree with you, and that's why I, I probably need to stay off of it. Because here, here's the thing: church, the church is hypocritical, right? The church is hypocrisy, but so are most of the groups in NA and NA, NA and AA. But the principles are right. The principles of the Bible are right. What the Bible teaches is right. Human beings screw up everything. We mess everything up. And so so I'm telling you from my experience, I'm not telling you that it doesn't work. Because I believe Michael's, I, I, I think, Michael's still a 12-step program, and, and I've never told him this, because I don't ever tell anybody, don't do it. I can only go from my personal experience. I see you cheating on your wife. I see you, you know, losing your car because you bet on the Super Bowl or whatever. 
And I'm like, you just shifted your addiction, dude. You didn't actually deal with the issues, right? The fourth step and, and, and the fourth step, like just come and come clean, man. Come clean. The thing that I, I've been told, the thing that I thought a lot is this, that, um, that I must've been bottling stuff up. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, I must've not been dealing with whatever it was that I was going through with all the stuff that happened with Angie and you know, all the problems in my life. And uh, See, I, read, I, mean, I read that in your blog. I read yeah. that. I don't know if I did or not, but that was for me that jumped up. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's the deal. I, I, yeah, and I did write it in such a way. I was bottling stuff up. I built a wall to protect myself from it. But you know what, Ed? Here's the most important thing, and I've thought about this afterwards too. I thought about this after I wrote the blog, trying to figure out how to put this in or if I should. But I don't know how not to bottle stuff up. That's—I mean—it's just not built within me. It doesn't come with the program. It, you know, it doesn't come with men's program, especially. No, we don't have instructions. Huh? We, no, we, no. We have proverbs, but not not real deep instructions. Like do this, do this, do this. And the the only thing I can say at this point is, uh, people would say, well, "Hey, I'm not bottling things up." I didn't think I was bottling things yeah. up. Yeah, and if yes. you were to convince me that I was bottling stuff up, I would have said, "Okay, what am I supposed to do? I don't know really what you're asking me to do now. How do I let this out? How do I ex or am I?" How am I not letting it out in ways that I should? What are the healthy ways that I'm supposed to be going? Because I did not know I was messing up. Right. And, you know, I mean, I guess I guess the only thing I could say, and maybe you can say something to this, or I don't, I don't know, uh, is, is to say you've got to sit down and talk about it as if there is a problem that you don't know about is there. Because if you're going through something and you feel like, hey, I'm doing pretty good with this, you know, I mean, it's not hurting me. I'm taking care of things. And yes, I'm emotional. I'm sad, but I'm not as sad as I thought I was going to be. No. Yeah, I can't believe this happened. But you know what? I see all these people. Fall. I didn't fall apart. That's what I was thinking. And it was like everybody in one way or another will bottle stuff up. Yeah, I mean, if you really cared about the people. 100%. Yeah. And, and sitting and, down. And, 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 so for a bad reason either, Michael. Uh, I mean, it's kind of for, like, why you were doing that was a good reason, right? You're trying to protect your family. You're trying to hold everything together in a time where, now there's a gap, right? Like, I met you post-Angie before your mom had the stroke. And then yeah. I came and I stayed at your house several times, right? And, 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 and I, I don't want to dishonor your dad, right? So, like, but he he was struggling, Right. And, and your, your mom's laying in bed and you're doing everything and it's his wife, but he's not really taking care of it. And I'm not trying to dishonor him in any way. Yeah, my dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because like, my dad, I have my own struggles with, right? But, but the point is, you, you're, when you read your posts, in your mind, it's the right thing to do. Be strong. We're taught as a man, be strong. But when we're taught in the Bible, it's like, no, lay down on the floor, face down, and just cry. But that's not how society... Now you're weak. Yeah. You're, you're weak if you just fall apart before the Lord. And yeah. just, you know, or before anybody. And uh, and that's, that's a shame because our weakness is his strength. And, and, that's, and I'm not trying to be preachy. It's just reality. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, I guess in the end, what I would tell people is this. I know we've gone a lot longer than I said we were going to go. But what I would tell people is this. I didn't know that I needed a, I I didn't know I had a problem that was going to be, I was going to set a wall up towards. Um, As far as the suffering I went through, I thought I was making it through. And the thing is, whenever you're, you're going through this stuff, there's going to be people who express it in all different ways. I mean, uh, women and men express it differently, but even, even among men, you're going to express it differently. And you must understand this, that you're not going to be able to get through those times without sitting down and working them out with someone. And if you're not having, if you say, Hey, I'm fine. Then that's an odd thing. There's something, there's some reason why you're fine. That's not real. Yeah, yeah, you're lying to yourself. So it's just sit down with a counselor and say, "Hey, listen, I do have a problem because I'm not. I'm. I feel fine. Help me work through this." That's what. That's the thing I would do different now. I would go to a counselor and I'd say, "I need help working through that. I don't think I need help." Yeah, absolutely. You get the tragedies like that. That's what's going to happen. You you will deal with it one way or another. All right, guys. Well, thank Bye. you for, for joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, no, and Ed. Thanks, Dad. It's good to meet you, man. You bet, man. Hey, I love your, I love your uh, conversation with Tad, bro. I love <laughs> hey, I love both you guys. You guys, are both, you guys are both so honest. I really appreciate it. I love you. You ask good questions. Michael gives mediocre answers most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's just that's a thing for us. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I love it. I love your honesty, man. All right, we'll talk to you in a little bit. All right, cool. All right, love you, Michael. Love you, bro. All right, guys, thank you for joining us. This has been, again, a special edition of Theology Unplugged. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope you got something that out of it. I mean, it's, it obviously is something meaningful to me, meaningful in my life, and both of those guys have been through stuff as well, and that's why I brought them in and uh, wanted to get their take on this. But we're going to keep on doing this and uh, bringing people in. Me, me and Tad are going to keep on having our Converse with Scholars, and me and Ed are also going to do uh, something coming up uh, to where Ed is – uh, responding to something that he he nitpicks about with me because that's what he he's done for 20 years he has been my professional nitpicker because he straightens me out in all the theological areas he says michael you're doing fine except for right here so i'm going to get him to tell me where i need to be corrected and we're gonna we're gonna keep on doing that as well uh until next time i appreciate everybody and all of your support i appreciate your prayers that's all i'm talking about right here now is your prayers that you have given to me during this time and just staying with me. I mean, honestly, I just, I still can't believe it. You stuck with me through it all. So I do appreciate that. And that's a testimony forever. Theology Unplugged.